Bud Clapp was one of my professors at Ozark Christian College. And you could tell from a distance even pretty quickly that there was something different about Bud's appearance. When he was a boy, he had polio. And as a result of that, his right arm was shrunken and completely limp at his side. Every time he'd walk around, that arm would just kind of be flopping around. And he kept a pretty good sense of humor about it. He would sometimes introduce himself by saying, Hi, my name's Bud Clapp, and I can't. <laughs> One of his children, named Troy, was born with multiple birth defects. And as Troy grew up, he had to have a prosthetic leg. And so you could tell from a distance about Troy also that he had some challenges. And one day as a young person growing up, he was talking to his dad about some of the, the challenges, some of the difficulty he was having because he didn't seem to fit in with everybody else. He was feeling down about that and he told his dad, people look at me like I'm weird. And Bud said to his son, look at me, I'm weird. Let's go to the mall and be weird together. I remember him telling that story. You know, when you signed on to life in Jesus, you left the world that you were in before. When you entered into the Jesus life, you left where you belonged before. You left the kingdom of darkness and you immigrated with an E, you emigrated out from there and immigrated with an I into another country. You joined the likes of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob. You became an alien, a stranger to this world, and you chose by that choice another place of belonging, a kingdom, a growing dynamic reign of God known as the church, too. Some people who are in that kingdom are just brand new to it, and they're just beginning to understand what it's like. They're beginning to appreciate the amenities, if you will, and figure out what it means to be a good citizen of that kingdom. They want to be sure they're doing everything right. Some people have been in that kingdom for a long time and have even forgotten about it that they are citizens of it. In fact, there are many people who are in that kingdom who are trying to have a kind of dual citizenship, to belong in both places. And it's really hard to tell they even belong in the kingdom. And then there are some people who are on the outside who are looking in on the kingdom, wondering, what is it like in there? They've been misled, perhaps, told, that they can become part of it, but that doesn't seem to work out for them. And they see life in this theoretical kingdom as one big disappointment after another. I told you earlier that we're going to be in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. The Sermon on the Mount, it's usually called. I'd like you to get your Bibles open there. Matthew chapter 5. Most apparently, the Sermon on the Mount is a collection of highlights of things that Jesus taught early in his ministry after people began following him from all over the place. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount might possibly have happened over a period of days. We're not exactly sure. 
It begins with Matthew, looks like, summarizing some main points. And at the beginning, it says Jesus sat down and he spoke to his disciples, get to the end of chapter 7, and it says he is speaking to the crowds. We're going to see how the Sermon on the Mount is useful for you, no matter where you are in relationship to the kingdom. This sermon is a description of how uh, you should be and what you can be in God's kingdom. In a few words, you're going to see it restated over and over, and especially in the very middle in chapter 6, where Jesus says it again and again, don't be like them. You must not be like them. You are part of a different kingdom. A lot has been written about how to read and how to apply the Sermon on the Mount. And I think it's going to come down basically to what you bring into it starting this morning. If you want to look at the Sermon on the Mount and say, well, wait a second, no way. You want to limit it? You'll turn it into something that it won't be relevant to you. You want to wield it? You want to make it into something and use it in a way that it's not supposed to? You'll be frustrated. If you want to be wise about it, like Jesus said in chapter 7, you'll do it. You'll put it into practice, but you're going to need to make it a daily project. If you really want to assimilate into the kingdom of heaven, you're going to read these words, you're going to hear these words, they're going to make you glad. You'll be happy to hear them. But if you're trying to figure out how can I look at what Jesus says here and maintain dual citizenship, then you're going to hear these words and you're going to resent them and you're going to rationalize why they don't apply to you. So as we step into this journey, I want to encourage you to listen. What's happening this morning inside your heart of hearts? And I will listen to what's happening inside of my heart of hearts as we together find a place to belong. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain. And when his disciples came to him, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice, or rather, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We're going to stop right there this morning, and we're going to take just these first verses of chapter 5, the section that's usually called the Beatitudes. Have you heard that word? Beatitudes. There's some other designations put on it. It comes from a Latin word that simply means blessed. Some translations put the word happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy 
are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But that comes up short. When Jesus says here, blessed, he is using a word that means to give approval, as if to say, God is giving an approval to this person. You have God's stamp of approval, blessed. The point is that a, a person who is a citizen of the kingdom of God has an approval rating from God, and that approval shows up in things like inheriting the kingdom of heaven, being comforted, inheriting the earth, being satisfied, receiving mercy, seeing God, being called the sons of God, having a great reward in heaven. We could take eight weeks just on these Beatitudes. We could spend eight weeks here, but I'd just like to use them today to introduce the next weeks that we're going to spend in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, lay the groundwork, and begin by just talking about what is the character of this kingdom person. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. By the way, the poor in spirit, that's not a description of somebody who couldn't afford the larger screen on their iPhone upgrade. Neither is it the description of a person, some people think this, a person whose temperament is just so lame that they have the personality of a potato. That's not what poor in spirit is talking about. This is the opposite of the person who is just sure that he has done so well in life, he deserves heaven. We could paraphrase it like this. Blessed is the person who is spiritually bankrupt and realizes it. The person who has hit rock bottom. It's the attitude that's expressed in the old hymn, Rock of Ages. It, it's the heart of the person who sings these words, verses 2 and 3. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. This was written in the 1700s, by the way. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven is filled with people who realize that they can't begin to deserve to be there. Not people who go out of their way to say how proud they are about what they are. But rather people who understand that they are completely and utterly dependent on the mercy of God. And yes, I just took a swipe at the idea that there would be a month designated Gay Pride Month. I'm being told that I should affirm and encourage that idea. You know what? I would rather invite anybody who supports it to drop your pride and to seek God's affirmation and join with me and let's be poor in spirit together. Can we do that? Is that you, poor in spirit? Well, it is if you're serious about being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That's the starting place. Most blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Have you noticed we live in a culture that rejects sadness? 
tells us to escape sadness. In fact, there is a whole list of ways to do it. Happiness is kind of like this virtue that trumps all ethical standards. Do whatever you must, just don't get caught being sad, especially over your own failures. Jesus says the citizen of his kingdom is a person who is able to mourn. You see how that goes along with being poor in spirit? If you're somebody who hits rock bottom in life and you understand it, you're a person who's able to mourn. I know that doesn't sound like a very great invitation, does it? Oh, you should come to me to Central Christian Church where we really know how to mourn. Doesn't sound like the best invitation, but you've got to keep reading. What does Jesus say about this person? The one person who isn't fine about the way he personally has rejected God's authority in his life. What does Jesus say about this person who weeps as Jesus did over the condition of the world and what sin has done to it? God says about those people, they will be comforted. Current culture's approach of dodging sadness over things that are wrong doesn't work. Eventually, the debt gets too high, the lie is discovered, the affair leaves you empty, the high goes away, the fascination fades away. And I want to tell you, if that's where you have arrived in your life this morning, you're actually at a good place because you have now gotten to the point where you're able to mourn. You have the potential to do that now. If you look at where our culture is headed and it leads you to tears, stay tuned. Jesus says you'll be comforted. That's part of this citizenship in his kingdom. Haven't you heard it? We're supposed to laugh with those who laugh. We're supposed to weep with those who weep. Is that you? Yes, it is if you're serious about being a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek. Let me ask you a question this morning. What kind of animal do you think of when you want to think about how to illustrate meekness? What kind of animal do you think of? Gerbil? (laughs) Oh, turtle? All right. Sloth? A lamb? Rabbit? I wrote down koala bear. Dodo bird? Remember the dodo bird? Probably not, because they were all gone before this country was started. But the dodo bird was remembered for just standing by stupidly as it was clubbed to death for food. And that is culture's assessment of meekness. Weak, slow, wimpy. But when Ancient Greeks used the word that's used here. They used that word to describe work elephants, well-trained horses, and watchdogs. That's the animals they were thinking of. They weren't weak, none of them. Meekness means not being weak, but being strong and having that strength under control. Some translations will render this word gentleness or humility. Okay, but that comes up short. I'm always going to remember my Greek professor, Kenny Bowles, saying, in Greek, meek is not weak. You can remember that, too, for free. All right. In the scriptures, there are only two people who are described as meek, Moses and Jesus. 
Neither of them was weak. They were strong, but they had their strength under control. The kind of control that doesn't shout back. The kind of control that doesn't hit back or go into a rage. The kingdom outside, the kingdom that you used to be a part of, says, yell back, fight back, get revenge. Jesus will say in the Sermon on the Mount, someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other. Somebody would sue you and take your cloak, let him have your tunic. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Pray for those who persecute you. Forgive the one who wrongs you. If you're afraid for what that's going to cost you, I want to encourage you to look again here in chapter 5 what Jesus says about the person who is meek. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. See, we're worried about what it will cost us. Jesus says, you're going to inherit the earth. Is that you, meek? Well, it is if you're serious about being a citizen of the kingdom. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Appetite necessarily requires something outside of you to satisfy it. And our culture, have you noticed this? Seems to be run by satisfying appetites of all kinds. Whether it's an appetite to be amazed or an appetite to be entertained, whether it is physical or emotional, we are living in a world that largely is driven by personal appetite satisfaction and by the knowledge that those appetites are going to return over and over and never really be satisfied. Just ask Mick Jagger. He can't get no. Everyone over 30 understood that. Okay. Jesus says, the citizen of the kingdom of heaven hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Well, what that looks like is all over the scriptures. In fact, it's in the Psalms. Psalm 42, we've sung a song based on this. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 63 starts out, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Psalm 37, verse 4 tells us, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Somebody who is hungering, thirsting, for righteousness isn't just a person who's trying to be a little better. It's the person who wants his faith to show up in a life that is constantly growing. It's like someone isn't satisfied that he has been accepted as a citizen into a country, but now that he's a citizen of the country, he wants to master the language. He wants to become involved in its government. He wants to be a, a person who contributes to it and helps it to be the best that it can be. That's the person hungering and thirsting for righteousness. In the kingdom of heaven, that's the person, Jesus says, will be satisfied. Is that you? It is, if you're serious about being a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the merciful. Mercy is about being moved to help people who really need it. You know, if you are a person who is spiritually bankrupt, and you know it, if you're a person who is able to grieve, 
if your strength is submitted to what God wants you to do, if you want your life to reflect what God has done for you, then it makes sense, doesn't it, that you will be the kind of person who sees the needs in others and who is moved to try to help those needs. Do you realize you need mercy yourself? Because the person who is convinced that he or she doesn't need mercy is probably the person who has the hardest time showing it. James reminds us, chapter 2 of James, verse 13, judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Merciful. Is that you? It is if you're serious about being a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus says. Your heart, according to Scripture, when it uses that word, your heart is the very center of your personality. A pure heart is the only way to a consistently godly life. There's so much more than just going through the right motions. There's so much more than just having the right answers. And this is something that's an ongoing part of being a citizen of the kingdom. John wrote in 1 John 3, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him does what? Purifies himself as he is pure. That person, the pure in heart, will see God. Is that you? Well, it is if you're serious about being a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the peacemakers. By the way, a peacemaker is more than just a person who feels peaceful. It's more than just a person who wishes that there was peace. The peacemaker is the person who makes peace. They are the people who follow the example of the prince of peace. Do you realize that the work of Jesus was largely to bring about peace? Peace between us and God. Peace between us with each other. Even peace with ourselves. Jesus was the peacemaker where it was most needed. You see, peacemakers are people who squash rumors, who are quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. They're the ones who make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. They shall be called, Jesus says, peacemakers shall be called sons of God. Is that you? Well, it is if you're serious about being a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. Peacemakers. The last one is this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then Jesus takes this one and he makes it more personal. He not only makes it about those, but he makes it about you. Blessed are you when others revile you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And this is kind of like the test for all the others. Can anyone see that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God? Can people look into your life and conclude about you, yep, he's following Jesus. Yes, she belongs to that bunch. Here's what Jesus said in John 15 to his disciples. 
If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. When the world hates you, Jesus says that's an indicator that you're doing something right. An indicator that you're going to be rewarded forever. Citizens, citizens of the kingdom of heaven are people who have weighed this out. They have looked at the cost of following Jesus Christ. They have weighed out that cost and they have concluded that the reward of living with him forever, of being part of his kingdom now, outweighs it. They rejoice that the world is noticing that we really are aliens just passing through this place. Is that you? Well, it is if you're serious about being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. All right, eight Beatitudes. I wanna just finish this up by making three observations and we'll be done this morning, okay? Everyone loves to hear that word. Number one, I noticed this, that life in the kingdom of heaven runs counter to the world's idea of success, happiness, power, and fulfillment. At the end of chapter 7, it says that when Jesus finished these sayings, chapters 5, 6, and 7, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished. And the word is not just a word that means surprised. It's like gobsmacked. You ever heard that? It's like they got smacked because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like their scribes. It wasn't like the teaching that was all around them. It wasn't like everything that they were hearing. Like Jesus said, you must not be like them. More and more, listen brothers and sisters, more and more, being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven means having a worldview different from the people around us. And you'll either embrace that or you'll try to figure out how you can keep dual citizenship. But Jesus says, and we'll see it in chapter 6, you can't serve two masters. Here's a second observation. And that is that citizens of the kingdom are different because the Lord gives us a different heart. These things are about living a different life, not just thinking differently, but living a different life that starts from the inside and works its way out. If you go to the Division of Motor Vehicles, when you go to get your first driver's license, what's the first thing you have to do? This is not a trick question. What's the first thing you have to do to get a driver's license? Written test, right? You've got to sit down and take a written test. You've got to pass the written test. If you pass the written test, if I'm remembering correctly, there's another test. It's the eye test. <laughs> I was in there one day. There was an older gentleman. They said, come over here to the counter for your eye test. And he said, what counter? True story. <laughs> so I'm not sure if they gave him a license or not. You've got to pass the written test. You've got to pass the eye test, Right? And it's only after you pass those two things that you're able to take the, the driving test. Dun, dun, dun. All right. Well, that first test, the written test, is just about what you know. All you got to do is have the right answers to pass that test. 
The second test is about what you are able to see, what you're able to observe, right? But the third test, the third test is about what you are able to do. That's where the rubber meets the road, quite literally. And you're not going to pass the driving test without the knowledge part, right? And without the seeing part, you've got to have all of those together. Our citizenship is like that. You need to understand it. You need to have the right answers. You need to be able to observe it, but you also need to put it on the road. The Lord wants our devotion to him from our heart. So we're different because the Lord gives us a different heart, not just because we have the right answers, not just because we're able to see things, but because we get that all together. That's a citizen of the kingdom. Here's a third observation, and that is that the kingdom is growing, and so should we. Just like the Lord wants to add people to his kingdom, he also wants us to grow personally in these things. He wants us to grow. Did I mention that he wants us to grow? Jesus says a lot in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't expect that tomorrow morning, having heard this, or maybe you're going to read through the, all three chapters today, that tomorrow morning you're all done with it. That's not how he presented it. Get to the end of chapter 7, and Jesus speaks about the person who hears these words of mine and does them. It's in the present tense. It's an ongoing thing. It's a lifetime of growth and developing. So here now comes the part where you consider how you will either grow from these words of Jesus that we've looked at here in Matthew chapter 5, or if you will leave them on the mountain. Where's your citizenship this morning? Where is your citizenship? If your kingdom person does it show, Jesus spells out how it should look right here, and not only how it should look, but what should be behind the way it looks. We'll keep looking into that, but you need to ask yourself this morning, which kingdom do I belong to? And if you're not yet a kingdom person, I've got good news for you. You can be. You can become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Just for kicks last night, I looked at what it is required to become a citizen of the United States. Have you ever looked into that? Most of us were born into citizenship, but a person who wants to be naturalized as a citizen of the United States, got to live here for five years in a residency, got to be considered a person of good moral character. Did you know that was part of it? You've got to be able to pass a language test, a history test. You've got to swear allegiance to this nation. And if you pass all of those things and turn in all the right forms and show up for the allegiance ceremony, you can become a citizen of the United States. You know what? I could tell you how to become a follower of Jesus Christ and a citizen of his kingdom in less time. When people ask, what do I need to do? The answer is very clear in Scripture. If you know that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be, you need to repent of your past life. You need to be baptized into Jesus Christ. You need to acknowledge who Jesus is. And you need to live that life from that day forward.
You need to become a, a citizen of the kingdom. You could do that this morning. It's not going to take five years. Wouldn't that be great? Maybe you're thinking about that today. That's something that you've given thought to before. I hope it is. Maybe this is the very first time you've thought about it. If you've got questions, if you've got questions, why shouldn't I do this? Would you please come ask me that question? I want to help you understand what it means to become a citizen and give your life to Jesus Christ. We're going to have an opportunity to make that choice today. We're not going to chase people down and, and twist your arm. We're going to ask you to respond to Jesus Christ. If you're ready to make that choice, in just a moment here, we're going to sing a song together, and I'm going to be down here at the front. Tom is right here. Uh, just come on down to the front. Talk to us about your relationship with the Lord. Let us help you. Let us show you in his word what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Would you stand up with me, please? Maybe today you're already a follower of Christ and, and uh, you're looking at your life going, I've tried this dual citizenship thing and I need to quit it. Yes, you do. You need to quit it. And this would be a really good time, you and God, one-on-one, -on -one, to have a conversation about that. Let's pray together. Father, right now we ask that your word will do its work. It says that about itself, that it will not return to you empty without accomplishing the purpose for which you have sent it. So I pray, Father, that for every one of us, because there are things here that each one of us needs to listen to and needs to give heed to, Father, help us please now to take it to heart, to put it to practice in our lives. Especially, Father, for any who need to uh, change their citizenship, they need to become a part of your kingdom. I pray that today will be the day. Remove the hindrances and the excuses, Father. Help us to make the choices that honor you. We pray through Jesus. Amen.